1: Welcome back to the Bill Press Pot and a very special podcast for uh, all of you political junkies like me. Jonathan Martin's been on the political beat for a long time at the National Journal, then Politico, then the New York Times, and now back at Politico as its politics bureau chief and senior political columnist. In my experience, Jonathan Martin ranks right up there as one of the nation's top and most perceptive political reporters. When it comes to not just what's happening here in Washington, but in every state capital in the country, Jonathan's got it covered. So now that the 2020 midterms and Kevin McCarthy's speakership clown show are both finally behind us, we reached out to Jonathan to get his take on the American political landscape today, looking ahead the major players in 2023 and 2024. We caught up with Jonathan while he was on vacation with his family out in California, Uh, so don't be surprised if you occasionally hear a few other voices or noises in the background. Jonathan Martin, Happy New Year. Good to talk to you again, and welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Thanks, Bill, for having me. Happy New Year. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. So, you know, I want to talk to you about the political landscape in general, but we got to start. With what we saw last week, this week of chaos in the House of Representatives, yeah, McCarthy finally got the job, but um, Jonathan, what do you think this means for the House, uh, looking at the next two years, and more broadly, what do you think it means for, if it has any
0: impact at all,
1: on politics sure. writ large? Well, i
0: think the first question. Uh, first, I mean, I think for the House, um, it, it presages uh, great difficulty in uh, anything resembling a functional um, uh, Congress, because you have to have two chambers of Congress to function. And obviously, with the narrowness of their majority, they're just going to have a really difficult time doing even the basics. Uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy by you know giving away seats on the on the Rules Committee of the House. Um, is going to make it difficult to even bring you know, votes to the floor of the House. Uh, um, and I'm talking about things like raising the debt ceiling, funding the government. I'm, I'm not talking about recreating the New Deal bill. Um, I mean, yep. just the basics. Uh, Basic but, stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. I and mean, I think politically- it's just a reminder that the Republican Party is is both uh, lacking real leadership, but also uh, doesn't have a core identity at this point. I, I spoke to Speaker Pelosi and wrote a column for Politico about this, and there's no obvious cohesion about what the party stands for uh, outside of sort of opposition to the left, which, you know, itself can be pretty compelling. But there's just sort of no obvious undergirding platform here for the Republican Party and when you, when you combine that with a lack of leadership, it's, it's a recipe for a pretty messy interregnum, uh, Bill, I think, until they resolve uh, what they are and who's leading them down the road.
1: Right. Do you see any possibility that in the core, maybe in the center, if there is one in the House Republican caucus, I mean, there are 18 Republicans who were elected in districts that Biden won, right, that they might— End up um, moving away from McCarthy and making deals with with Democrats because you know the margin is so close. Were they to do so,
0: um, McCarthy would, could lose control that way. He could. He could. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible that, that there could be common cause on on some vote, especially if the far right is seen as sort of hijacking. The House, you may see some of the more center right Republicans take matters into their own hands and and try to create alliances uh, with Democrats. And, Mm. but you know, that also just undermines McCarthy's grip even further. And so, um, uh, but no, I mean, look, I I think um, um, what this mess in the House, you know, makes clear is there's just not a sort of unified theory of the case. For being totally honest, I mean, I think for some of these people, they are principled, small government conservatives. I think others of them are basically trying to be oppositional to be oppositional. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you can't do anything about that. Uh, but, But in this era, as you know, Bill, like that gets them attention. It gets them, you know, media, it gets them fundraising. And so that's what they're up against, you know?
1: Right. And these people, I mean, if we if we identify some of them, like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, for 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 sure, right? Yep. Um They don't. They don't uh, need the establishment party, right? The, the way the way right. people used to to stay uh, out in the in the public eye, right, and get support.
0: In fact, I mean. Uh... That's, that's the opposite of what they want. The, their entire political identity is wrapped up in opposing uh, the yep. political establishment. That's their oxygen. Um, it used to be that leadership had a series of carrots and sticks uh, that they could sort of keep the rank yep. and final in line. And yeah. now... You know, whether it's fundraising or whether it's you know, earmarks, uh, the members can do their own fundraising, and they don't want the earmarks. So <laughs> the leaders are left with uh, a, a sort of depleted arsenal, Bill. So do
1: you see that what happened in the House um, is reflected in the Republican Party writ large uh, nationwide, you know, this tension between yeah. the extreme right and then the center? And some people are trying to get things done, and others yeah. just want to tear things down?
0: Yeah, and, I, and again, I, mean, I don't want to harp on the Trump factor, but he is the central figure still in the Republican Party um, because they have not fully resolved whether or not they want him to be their leader. And so I think until they resolve the Trump question, it's mm-hmm. going to be difficult for them to fully Um, to fully sort of reconcile their identity. Um, They're not going to go back to being the George W. Bush party, or let alone the Bush 41 party, Um, but they're not fully of Trump uh, still either. There's plenty of people who who are eager to move on, especially after the midterms, but he still has a huge following and he still has considerable influence. Look, and they were reaching for the phone to try to bring Gates yeah. and Grover across the line. Uh, they weren't calling Nikki Haley or <laughs> uh, or Ron DeSantis. Well, they were calling uh, DT, yeah. as his name appeared name on uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's phone. Um, so he obviously still has uh, command. Um, look, they, we're in uh, uncharted waters, right? He's a twice-impeached Disgraced former ex president facing legal jeopardy, who is also an active candidate to run for the third straight, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. uh, bid, you know, bid for his party's nomination, uh, and effectively is still his party's leader, but he may not be a year from now. So it, it's just it's so uncertain until the Republicans can resolve uh, that Trump factor. I think it's going to be hard for them to have a discussion about their identity and figure out their policy platform because he just dominates uh, so much and his personality dominates so much. And um, so I think, yeah, that to me is at the root of their challenges, trying to come to terms with that, the Trump question. And Bill, it. it It bleeds over to the Democratic side, too, as you know, because Biden's rationale for running again Mm -hmm. in 24 when he'll be 82 is the Trump factor is, you know, I beat Trump once. I can beat him again. Right. Um, We can't change horses in in, in midstream. Well, we got to stop Trump and Trumpism. And so, you know, Biden's rationale is wrapped up in Trump, too. So, (laughs) I mean, he, he, he really shapes both parties, this presidential cycle in a way that's just extraordinary.
1: Well, you raise raised one question that, um, that I've been trying to figure out, too, which is were, what lessons, if any, did Republicans learn from the midterms? I mean, one would think the lesson right. might be that the Trumpism uh, is limited, right, and, yeah. it's a, and it's a national appeal. Right. And yet uh, I'm not sure that lesson has, has been learned.
0: No, and I thought Dan Balls had a really nice column. About this in the in the Washington Post, Bill is, um, you know, uh, uh, whether it's January sixth or the midterms, um, it shows that Republicans have not learned their lessons about what the broad middle of the American electorate wants, which is normalcy. they don't want this crazy, uh, they don't mm-hmm. want the perception of extremism, they they don't want the sort of Uh, constant drama uh, of Trump and sort of Trump lieutenants uh, questioning American institutions. Uh, That's Biden's best asset. And um, uh, that message has not gotten through, at least to some people in the party. Now, I will say, I think there's other folks in the party who do want to sort of find uh, an alternative candidate that's not Trump. Um, But uh, again, I just, there's a lot of loud voices Uh, as we've seen, who haven't gotten the message about, you know, hey, the American voter had a chance to send a message about the Biden administration, and instead this midterm was just as much a referendum about your side as it was theirs. I think that, that that still has not totally penetrated, and, you know, we can discuss why that is if you want.
1: Yeah. Well, to that point, in terms of normalcy, and I think you're right, um, Look, look, the House and Kevin McCarthy again, and he agreed to do this because he wanted so badly to be Speaker.
0: What they've
1: they've proposed, right, they're going into these investigations into the, quote, weaponization of the federal government, you know, taking on the DOJ and the FBI and Hunter Biden. Um, It seems to me there's at least a question about this is what the American people want Republicans to do now that they have control of the House.
0: Well, and this gets to the heart of the political incentives for so many people in the House that they come from districts in which the only action is in in the primary. Uh, And so they're motivated entirely by issues that exist mostly in the right wing media uh, the weaponization of the FBI, Hunter Biden is not the stuff of like day-to-day kitchen table issues for most Americans. but mm-hmm. uh, that is for a lot of folks who consume you know um. you know right- wing media. And so these members of the House, that's animating to them because that's what their loudest voters are constantly talking to them about, and frankly, that's what a lot of them are watching and consuming because they reflect their own base these days. <laughs> yeah. and so it is detached um, from mm-hmm. from the kind of vast middle of the American electorate. Um, but that's the nature of these hounds, folks. These days, they're mm-hmm. reflecting uh, these you know overwhelmingly red districts in which they've got to survive a primary.
1: Yeah, exactly. You, know, you mentioned, uh, of course, Donald Trump. He, he has announced for president. But, uh, Jonathan, you, you've been on the scene for so yep. long. You've been, you've been down to Mar-a-Lago. What yep. the hell is going on with where is Trump's 2024 campaign? I mean, does it exist? What's he doing? Is he
0: serious about it? What's your read on it? I think he is. I don't know if that means that in three months or six months he'll be serious about it, but I think he <laughs> Uh, I think he wants vindication. I think he misses the attention. And I, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. Outside the fact that I think the timing was also probably shaped by uh, trying to shield himself from from prosecutors. I mean, I think, right. uh, yeah. you know, like, why else would he announce a week after the midterm election? I mean, this is the great question in 23. I, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago about this. Uh, about all these known unknowns, to borrow an old Donald Rumsfeld phrase, right? These known (laughs) unknowns. Uh, uh, One of the great known unknowns is, is Donald Trump indicted? And if so, in what jurisdiction? Uh, And Mm -hmm. is he convicted? How serious are the charges? And what does that do to his primary? Does he stay in the race? Does he find some kind of a face-saving exit? That to me is the great question. I think there is a a silent plurality, if not majority, of the Republican Party that does not want Trump to be their nominee again. Wow. Not because they don't like him or even love him, but because they just fear he can't win, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard this, I've heard this so many times talking to Republicans. He was a great president. I still love him. But you know, <laughs> I just don't think he can win the general election. The media would never give him a fair shot, right? Uh, But you just hear it time and time again. And that's a way of sort of people conceding that he's a flawed candidate without indicting themselves. When Alex Burns and I were doing our book tour uh, for our book, uh, which, by the way, you can still buy on (laughs) Amazon.com called This Will Not Pass. This Will Not Pass by Jonathan Martin uh, and Alex Burns, um, when we, we were doing our book tour, one of the things we'd say to people is, like, you know, you can't expect Republican voters to wake up one day and suddenly have, like, a, a sort of a conversion. You know what? Dr- Donald Trump was a bum and a demagogue illegitimate president. I was all wrong. I never should have voted for the guy Mia Coppola. Like, don't, don't yeah. hold your breath, wait for that moment. But what they will do is they'll speak in euphemisms and they'll say, mm-hmm. you know, Trump couldn't keep his mouth shut or, he, you know, he, he never got a fair shot from the media. And... It's all a way of saying and conceding that that they don't want him to be be their nominee again without actually indicting uh, themselves for their own judgment.
1: Exactly. Uh, The media didn't treat him fairly then. They won't treat him fairly now. He won't have a fair shot and all that kind of stuff, right? But it does—I mean, uh, we know that Trump is uh, a hell of a campaigner when he wants to be, right? When he's on the road, when he's out there on the plane and and, uh, pulling up and big crowds and everything, and yet— it's been so dormant since he announced that it does raise questions about
0: what the hell is he up to, right? Maybe. Yeah, and I think that gets to the heart of the timing. There's no political strategist that would suggest uh, you announce your candidacy and then you stay in a private club in South Florida (laughs) and play golf all day for the following two months. Um, But, you know, like he doesn't need help with name ID, right, Right, Bill? So (laughs) uh, in his defense, like, would it have helped him to have more of a strategy? Yes. Uh, is it is it going to be the death of his candidacy because he decided to play golf for the next two months? No.
1: Well, we remember, Jonathan, when he flew out of... Uh uh, Andrews Air Force Base on his way back to Florida. They were playing Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Maybe. <laughs> the Lord knows he still is. Exactly. Maybe maybe that's what he's thinking. Exactly. Hey, speak, speaking of timing, we want to take a little, little quick time out here uh, on the Bill Press spot and get back to talking about uh, uh, Joe Biden, who's the other. Uh, focus of your book with Alex Burns, This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for the American Democracy. Our guest, uh, Jonathan Martin, Politics Bureau Chief for Politico uh, and good longtime good friend. Let's take a quick break on the Bill Press pod, then we'll be right back. (music) Today's podcast with Jonathan Martin, brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good members of the UFCW, under President Mark Perrone, you know, they're the union workers that you most often come into contact with, because they're the people that take care of us at our big retail uh, chain stores, the grocery stores, also in food processing plants and chemical companies around the country, providing great, great service, for which we thank the members of the UFCW, and also thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at UFCW.org. But uh, today's guest, uh, Jonathan Martin, uh, now back with Politico as politics bureau chief and uh, author uh, with Alex Burns from the New York Times of uh, the great book, very, very important. This will not pass Trump, Biden, and the battle for American democracy. So um, Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, but last week in in the middle of all this chaos in the House, There was Joe Biden in Kentucky signing, not signing, but talking about infrastructure with Mitch McConnell, of all people, and the Republican Uh, governor of Ohio. And then a couple of days later, chaos in the House continues. There's Joe Biden in the White House honoring heroes of January 6th, people uh, who stood for democracy. Biden Has has Biden kind of hit his stride uh, as president these days? How do you read
0: it? The midterms put a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of swagger in, in his <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, in his walk, Bill. And I think, look, Joe Biden and the people around him live off of being underestimated. Yeah. He was told he was not progressive enough. And then, but then he, he he lost Iowa New Hampshire. He was left for dead. Well, then he, he you know can you beat incumbent president? You know you're a gaff machine. Trump's got this very strong base Well, he beat Trump. Then he's told he can't pass this aggressive legislation bill because, well... You know, in the, in this polarized era, you can't pass bipartisan yep. bills anymore. Don't bother. And then he yeah. passes, uh, you know, just an array of bills and has a very productive first uh, first Congress. And, and then he's told, well, every president in their first term suffers, uh, you know, big losses in the midterms. And then he <laughs> kept a seat in the Senate and only lost uh, only lost five uh, House right. seats. Uh, it is. Uh, and so if you're Joe Biden, and now you're being told, hey, man, you're too old to run for president, it's time to pass the baton, uh, imagine what you would say. You get your back up, and obviously he does, as do the folks around him, because of that record of, of success and proving the doubters wrong that I just mm-hmm. mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, I think right now the Biden folks are feeling good. They love the split screen of him you know, doing bipartisan uh, uh, bills and events. Uh, uh, Against the contrast of Republicans are trying to sort of keep, keep the other their coalition in, in very unsightly ways, uh, doesn't mean he's smooth sailing for 24. But obviously, right now uh, he's in about as good a place uh, as I can recall uh, as president. Do you think he has decided, in fact, to run in 2024? Was there ever any, ever ever any doubt? I do think he he is. Planning to run. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that Biden says, if you listen to Biden about this whole repeat himself. I and mean, the great part about covering Joe Biden, Bill, as you know, if you want to know what he thinks about something, just just listen to him, and he'll yeah. eventually tell you. There, there's not a private and public conversation. Mm-hmm. There's just. Joe Biden, uh, God love him for that. Uh look, he, one of the things he says is, I'm a great respecter of fates. And that, to me, is the escape hatch. So I think today, January 9th, 23, I think he's running for president. I think there, there's no doubt. But, however, I think he has that caveat of I'm a respecter of fate, which means if something comes up, health or otherwise, during the course of the next 14, 15 months, then, of course, I will adjust. But no, I mean— I, yeah, I think today he's he's running. And uh, what's so striking in the contrast with the Republicans is there's this great deference uh, to him among ambitious Democrats. I mean, here this party is filled with oh, next yeah. generation yeah. politicians, and they know that, that the reward structure does not reward. Trying to challenge him, and so they're all good soldiers, and they're all falling in line. It's so unlike the Democratic Party that that you grew up with, in which you know it was so much more chaotic. And uh, you know, Democrats have become the the sort of uh, British Royal Navy, and it's the Republicans who are now Irish. You know,
1: Jonathan, you know my my days in the Jerry Brown presidential campaign, right, and then Teddy Kennedy. I mean, Democrats learned that taking Absolutely. on taking on
0: an incumbent Democratic president. Does not really work? No. And at 68 and, and, and 80, there, there were challenges yeah. to, the, to the Democratic uh, president. Those things were just commonplace. I, I think now, in part because the threat of Trumpism is so great. And it's so animating for Democratic voters, Bill. There's a force field around Biden, which prevents sort of any challenge to him and uh, enforces a loyalty to him from Democrats. Because if you primary him, you're seen as effectively giving aid and comfort to the other side. It's a fascinating moment. It's it's not that Democrats have this Kennedy-level or Obama-level love for Biden. They like him a lot. Uh, it's just that they they view him as the guy standing in the breach, and if if you mess with him or if you even question him, then you're effectively helping the bad guys, right? And and I think that's just the sort of age of polarization that we're in.
1: Were at. it to end up uh, – again, back to your book, This Will Not Pass, Trump-Biden and the yeah. Battle for the American Democracy – were it to end up yeah. as a replay of 2020 with Donald Trump and Joe Biden, which it could, you would have to admit, right uh, – has oh, yeah. Trump gotten any stronger since 2020?
0: I think he's gotten weaker. He lost a popular vote decisively in 20. I think he would lose it again today by an even bigger margin. I think a lot of folks in his party are eager to move on. So, no, I mean, I think this is what 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 Biden feels like he has going for him is that mm-hmm. Biden feels like he can beat Trump again if Trump's the nominee. But that gets me back to what I was saying earlier. But what if Trump isn't the right. nominee? And what if we? And what if we know by the fall, sort of uh, late fall, uh, of twenty three, that that Trump is none the threat that he, he's been indicted or even convicted. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be the nominee. Republicans have moved on. What does that do to Biden's calculation? Right. And does that embold- And does that embolden any younger Democrat to say, look? If the Republicans are going to have an open primary and nominate somebody else, uh, shouldn't we have a primary of our own and put our strongest candidate on the mm-hmm. field against somebody that's not Trump? I mean, that to me is the real one of the real fascinating questions about the Democratic right. side.
1: And and when you now, this is of course speculative, but the, that's that's what keeps yeah. you and me in business, right? But if you look, indeed, indeed. if you look at the Democratic side, who do you see as the um, Who's on your radar, right? As as the young
0: up and coming Democrats to watch, does um, it? Sure. I mean, let's start. Let's start in the administration. Let, let's take Mitch Landrieu, Gina Raimondo, and Pete Buttigieg, who are all working for Biden right now. And then let's go to the governors. Whoa, 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 whoa! Um, you whoa. Know, you, Gretchen, you, didn't, you sure. did not mention yep. the vice president. Well, I'm talking about in terms of of, of Oh, I got I got it. I got it. Okay. Or, or, yeah. Or of, yeah. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Yeah. Like. Um, but, yeah, obviously, the VP would, would, would be somebody, if Biden does yeah. not run or yeah. can't run, somebody who would be, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, formidable. I don't think she would have a a, 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 a past. I, mean, I think she was a little primary, though, yeah. of the governors. I think Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, probably the most formidable governor. If you win Michigan twice, and by the margin yeah. she did, did the second time around, and you're a Democratic governor, boy, I just think that that, that immediately vaults you. Uh, into contention. Um, then I think there's a handful of other governors: Phil Murphy in Jersey, J.B. Prisker in Illinois, Polis in Colorado, Gavin mm-hmm. Newsom in California. Then I think you have to look at the Senate: Raphael Warnock, Mark Kelly, the folks who ran before. You know, whether it's Amy Klobuchar, Corey Booker, I think are are all interesting. So I, mean, I think there's a longer list there, yeah. Bill, than people oh, yeah. are of Democrats who By the oppose. way, I would have to add
1: uh, Wes Moore of Maryland and Josh Shapiro
0: of Pennsylvania yeah. to that list. Yeah. Well, and that gets to the next thing I was going to say, which is here's the the great the great question about. I mean, by nominating Joe Biden in 2020 and Kamala Harris as his VP, I, I think Democrats uh, have have really shaped the chessboard for years to come. And, and by that, what I mean is that if Biden does run this time, and all those names I just floated, they're all good soldiers, and they all get in line. Then I think it makes 28 all the more interesting, precisely because the Whitmers and oh, the Newsoms yeah. and the yeah. Bookers and the judges and the guess what? They're not just facing each other in 28. They're facing a next, <laughs> next generation yeah. of Democrats, like, like mm-hmm. Wes Moore and Josh Shapiro and maybe uh, Maura Healy, who were just elected this year who then are going to be uh, on people's uh, tongues as the next sort of coming of, uh, of of young Democrats. That's why the Biden question is so uh, significant, because it's really going to shape a generation to come uh, of Democrats, uh, because by 28, like you said, you're going to have these other two yeah. guys who are, you know, right on the
1: Boy, Katie, bar the door, right? That happens. <laughs> oh, my god! Exactly. Uh, what What do you see as the future for? Let's look at the other side again. For Liz Cheney, Jonathan, um, she clearly uh, doesn't see that her political career has uh, ended, and uh, or has it? Or what do you think?
0: I don't know if if her career has ended um, in public service. I'm not sure what she'll be doing in electoral office. I would never say never. I mean, she's still young to run for uh, for office. I just wonder if she won't be involved in public service and policy uh, in a different capacity going forward. She's still a pretty darn conservative Republican, um, traditional sort of Reaganite conservative. But obviously, she's appalled by by what the party has become uh, in in the Trump era. And so I think it's hard for her uh, to find a home right now. She's not going to be a Democrat, but she's, she's also not welcome still the Republican Party bill, so where does she go politically, and what what would she run for? So I think it's easier to see her as somebody who, you know, does some commentary, maybe writes a book, and then in 24 tries to figure out a place to, uh, you know, start reshaping the party in some capacity.
1: So Jonathan, can't let you go though, without asking you about um, Ron DeSantis, right? I mean, he, he clearly yeah. is a shiny new thing for the media among the Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. everybody says, no doubt he's going to run. He's going to run against Trump. And, yeah. uh, and he's the guy to, to take. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've seen a lot of front runners before. Right? <laughs> I remember Scott Walker. We all remember Scott Walker, Wisconsin, exactly. who was a, the, also the big shining light at that time and didn't last very long. How do, how do you see, how do you read uh, Ron DeSantis' position
0: right now? I think the organizing element behind the Republican Party right now is the clenched fist, and by that I mean the only thing that really unifies the GOP right now is, is just contempt for the left, uh, <laughs> more than any sort yeah. of you know uh, array of policy proposals. And I think DeSantis channels that as well as anybody this side of Donald Trump. He he loves punching the left and and the media, and that's what animates a lot of rank and file Republicans. Is yeah, give it to them. Um, And it's not super important what the nature of the it there is, as long as the punch is thrown. And I think he recognizes that, and he's pretty deaf. It also helps that he represents one of the real new political uh, capitals in American life. It's hard to overstate just what a political force Florida has become as a sort of nascent red Mm -hmm. state and financially how much money is there. I mean, Bill, you used to work in California politics where the joke was it was the great ATM in American politics and people would come out there in both parties and just raise money uh, and it would drive Californians nuts that they were just sort of used for their cash. I got to tell you, Florida has become the epicenter now of Republican Mm -hmm. fundraising. There's so many donors there part-time or full-time after COVID. That DeSantis' sort of national fundraising base doubles as his state fundraising base, and that's a significant advantage. Yeah,
1: for, for sure.
0: Uh, does it mean he can go all the way? Of course, it doesn't automatically mean that. These are these contests are won uh, not on paper. They're they, they're won obviously in the course of events. He's gonna have to prove himself and and sort of demonstrate he has what it takes. It's different to just punch at the left and the media than it is to you know compete against Republicans. That's a different mm-hmm. muscle where you're sort of taking on your own party, not attacking the bad guys. And so it's to be determined if you well, can do that. Well, one
1: thing we can say, Jonathan, the next two years are going to be as exciting as the last two, if not more, right? And, uh, and so much yeah, uncertainty. So much uncertainty. You so much excitement. Wait, you know? And nobody keeps on top of it better than you do, Jonathan Martin. Thank thanks, you John. so much for all your good work. And thanks for your time on the Bill Press Pod. Happy New Year.
0: Thanks for having me, Bill. And folks can read my columns at Politico and find me on Twitter at jmart. All right. Thanks, Bill. And that's it for
1: today's podcast. A big thank you to uh, Jonathan Martin. Uh, By the way, again, uh, a note in uh, the episode notes of this podcast, a link will be there for you to buy your own copy of his book with Alex Burns, great book, This Will Not Pass, Trump-Biden and the Battle for American Democracy. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back on Friday with our regular roundtable. Boy, another another busy week with lots to talk about on Friday. Uh, will Kevin McCarthy's speakership survive the first week, or what kind of battles will he face? And also, uh, how about Joe Biden's trip down to Mexico, the North American summit with the president of Mexico and the prime minister of uh, Canada. We'll cover all of that and a whole lot more on our next roundtable. That's this Friday. So have a good week and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.